Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast of brilliance. We're talking about book 10, chapter 12. Are you surprised that Maya's thoughts are with her father this evening, given the precariousness of her situation and how much danger is she in? Maya spends much of this chapter remembering the night she spent at her father's door after he'd had his stroke. At the time, the text says Maya knew how unpleasant he found any sign of fear for him. She knew that her coming at night at an unusual time would irritate him. Now, though, she thinks that her presence would have comforted him and that he might have spoken more of his feelings for her. If she had gone to his room that night, which circumstance do you think was more likely? Uh, We'll never know. Is it worth asking, you know? Um, Because you'll never know. You never know if you should have said that thing or what would they have said if I gave him one, if I had just gone in a little earlier, all those things. They drive yourself mad wondering. Twisted Every Way says, It's hard to know if Mary had gone to her father sooner if he would have said anything of substance. He was obviously not mentally well, seemed to be in and out of it between his strokes, so even if he said some tender nice things, he may have immediately followed it up with an unusual, sorry, with his usual beratings. If he was lucid enough, he probably wouldn't even have wanted Mary to see him that way. I think what Mary did was fine, and she's just feeling her grief in a big way during a stressful time. Yeah, stressful time, grieving, trauma, and, you know, being invaded by Napoleon, no less. You're not going to be all smiles, are you? Ripster66 says, This felt like a total cliffhanger chapter. Why is she rousing her old nurse and maid servants? What was she going to do? And then the next chapter switched gears. Does the next chapter indeed switch gears? Well, let's find out, eh? Because we're up to chapter... Uh, what are we up to? 13. Alright, let's go. 13. On the 7th of August, Rostov and Ilyin, accompanied by Lavrushka, who had just returned from captivity, and by a hussar orderly, left their quarters at... Yankovo, 10 miles from Bogotrovo, and went for a ride to try a new horse Ilyin had bought and to find out whether there was any hay to be had in the villages. For the last three days, Bogotrovo had lain between the two hostile armies so that it was as easy for the Russian rearguard to get to it as for the French vanguard. Rostov, as a careful squadron, squadron commander, wished to take such provisions as remained at Bogotrovo before the French could get them. Rostov and Ilyin were in the merriest of moods. On the way to Bogotrovo, a princely estate with a dwelling house and farm, where they hoped to find many domestic serfs and pretty girls, they questioned Lavrushka about Napoleon and laughed at his stories and raced one another to try Ilyin's horse. Rostov had no idea that the village he was entering was the property of that very Bolkonsky who had been engaged to his sister. Rostov and Ilyin gave rein to their horses, for a last race along the incline before reaching Bogotrovo, and Rostov, outstripping Ilyin, was the first to gallop into the village street. You're first, cried Ilyin, flushed. Yes, always first, both on the grassland and here, answered Rostov, stroking his heated Donitz horse. And I've, I'd have won on my Frenchie, Your Excellency, said Lavrushka from behind, alluding to his shabby cart horse, and the I didn't wish to mortify you. They rode at a foot-pace to the barn, where a large crowd of peasants was standing. Some of the men bared their heads, others stared at the new arrivals without doffing their caps. 
Two tall old peasants with wrinkled faces and scanty beards emerged from the tavern, smiling, staggering and singing some incoherent song, and approached the officers. Fine fellows, said Rostov, laughing. Is there any hay here? And how like one another, said Ilyin. A most airy comp... Ah, sang one of the peasants with a blissful smile. One of the men came out of the crowd and went up to Rostov. Who do you belong to? he asked. The French, replied Ilyin, jestingly, and here is Napoleon himself, and he pointed to Vlavrushka. Then you are Russians? the peasant asked again. And is there a large force of you here? said another, a short man coming up. Very large, answered Rostov. But why have you collected here? he added. Is it a holiday? The old men have met to talk over the business of the commune, replied the peasant, moving away. At that moment, on the road leading from the big house, two women and a man in a white hat were seen coming towards the officers. The one in pink is mine, so keep off, said Ilyin, on seeing Danyasha running resolutely towards him. She'll be ours, said Lavrushka to Ilyin, winking. What do you want, my pretty, said Ilyin with a smile. The princess ordered me to take to ask your regiment and your name. This is Count Rostov, squadron commander, and I am your humble servant. Company, roared the tipsy peasant with a beautiful smile as he looked at Ilyin talking to the girl. Following Danyasha, Alpatish advanced to Rostov, having bared his head while still at a distance. May I make bold to trouble your honour, said he respectfully, but with a shade of contempt for the youthfulness of this officer, and with a hand thrust into his bosom. My mistress, daughter of General-in-Chief Prince Nicholas Bolkonsky, who died on the 15th of this month, finding herself in difficulties owing to the boorishness of these people, he pointed to the peasants, asks you to come up to the house. Won't you please ride on a little farther, said Alpatish with a melancholy smile. As it is not convenient in the presence of... He pointed to the two peasants who kept as close to him as horse flies to a horse. Ah, Alpatish, ah, Yakov Alpatish, grand, forgive us for Christ's sake, eh? said the peasants, smiling joyfully at him. Rostov looked at the tipsy peasants and smiled. Or perhaps they amuse your honour, remarked Alpatish with a staid air. As he pointed at the old men with his free hand, no, there's not much to be amused at here, said Rostov, and rode on a little way. What's the matter? he asked. I make bold to inform your honour that the rude peasants here don't wish to let the mistress leave the estate and threaten to unharness her horses, so that though everything has been packed up since morning, her excellency cannot get away. Impossible! exclaimed Rostov. I have the honour to report to you the actual truth, said Alphbatiche. Rostov dismounted, gave his horse to the orderly, and followed Alphbatiche to the house, questioning him as to the state of affairs. It appeared that the princess, princess's offer of corn to the peasants the previous day, and her talk with Dron, and at the meeting, had actually had so bad an effect that Dron had finally given up the keys and joined the peasants, and had not appeared when Alpatish sent for him. And that in the morning, when the princess gave orders to harness for her journey, the peasants had come in a large crowd to the barn, and sent word that they would not, leave, not let her leave the village that there was an order not to move, and that they would unharness the horses. Alpatish had gone out to admonish them, but was told 
it was chiefly Carp who did the talking, John not showing himself in the crowd, that they could not let the princess go, that there was an order to the contrary, but that if she tried, but that if she stayed, they would serve her as before and obey her in everything. At the moment when Rostov and Ilyan were galloping, galloping along the road, Princess Mary, despite the dissuasions of Alpatiche, her nurse and the maids, had given orders to harness and intended to start. But when the cavalrymen were espied, they were taken for Frenchmen. The coachmen ran away, and the women in the house began to wail. Father, benefactor, God has sent you, exclaimed deeply moved voices as Rostov passed through the anteroom. Princess Mary was sitting helpless and bewildered in the large sitting room where Rostov was shown in. She could not grasp who he was and why he had come or what was happening to her. When she saw his Russian face and by his walk and the first words he uttered recognised him as a man of her own class, she glanced at him with her deep radiant look and began speaking in a voice that faltered and trembled with emotion. This meeting immediately struck Rostov as a romantic event. A helpless girl, overwhelmed with grief, left to the mercy of coarse rioting peasants and what a strange fate sent me here what gentleness and nobility there are in her features and expression thought he as he looked at her and listened to her timid story when she began to tell him that all this had happened the day after her father's funeral her voice trembled she turned away and then as if fearing he might take her words as meant to move him to pity looked at him with an apprehensive glance of inquiry there were tears in Rostov's eyes. Princess Mary noticed this and glanced gratefully at him with the radiant look which caused the plainness of her face to be forgotten. I cannot express, Princess, how glad I am that I happened to ride here and am able to show my readiness to serve you, said Rostov, rising. Go when you please, and I give you my word of honour that no one shall dare to cause you annoyance if only you will allow me to act as your escort. And bowing respectfully, as if to a lady of royal blood, he moved toward the door. Rostov's deferential tone seemed to indicate that, though he would consider himself happy to be acquainted with her, he did not wish to take advantage of her misfortunes to intrude upon her. Princess Mary understood this and appreciated his delicacy. I'm very, very grateful to you, she said in French, but I hope it was all a misunderstanding that no one is to blame for it. She suddenly began to cry. Excuse me, she said. Rostov, knitting his brows, left the room with another low bow. All right, there we go. That's a chapter for you. Thank you very much for listening to that, and I'll see you tomorrow.